This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. It's the Blood Red podcast, courtesy of the Liverpool Echo. I'm Guy Clark. Welcome along. Is it time to talk Thiago? Another defeat for the Reds leaves yet more questions for Jurgen Klopp to ponder as the injury crisis shows no sign of letting up. Thankfully, we're still at full strength here with our Liverpool correspondent Paul Gorst and Sean Bradbury to dissect the result at Leicester and look ahead to the return of Champions League football on Tuesday night. Gorsty, I'll come to you first up. How much longer is this slump going to go on for the Reds? Oh, um, well, if it goes on another week, it's been a disastrous one for Liverpool because Champions League is coming up and then, of course, Everton, Everton at Anfield. <clears throat> uh, haven't won there in 22 years and it's normally a, a home banker for Liverpool that has been in recent years and um, I think with the bizarre events that have, uh, that have followed this season's pattern, Everton would feel every right of, of going there and winning. So um, it's it's another massive week for Liverpool and, <clears throat> and Jürgen Klopp said a couple of weeks back that uh, that this run <clears throat> that's seen them play Tottenham, West Ham, Man City, um, the the game yesterday and obviously the game's coming up. He, you know, someone put it to him as a make or break it and he said no, but looking at it now, you're thinking, yeah, it, it is. And, and at the moment, it looks like Liverpool are broke. Um, I think now the very best that he can hope for is, is finishing inside that top four and that absolutely has to be the goal now. And then the Champions League will probably just offer a bit of a um, bit of a respite, a bit of a change of scenery, if you like, uh, particularly with the Maxi going to, to a place you've never been before in, in Budapest on Tuesday. But um, I think all likes have just got to be in that um, top four basket now, sadly. Yeah, it seems to be, Sean, that the Reds are lurching week through week at the moment, defeat after defeat. And I suppose it does get to a stage where things do get to a decisive and crunch moment, whereas Gorsley sort of says these games that you might have said weren't maybe must win all of a sudden definitely become that. Yeah, sadly, I think so. I mean, the Champions League realistically is is the only hope of salvaging something from the season. And, and yeah, it is in the league. It's, it is simply now, as Klopp conceded yesterday, just a battle for, for the top four really, isn't it? And I think that's that's the thing that's, kind of mired the team um, in recent weeks, I think, and has, has made it such a slog is coming to terms with the idea that you're, you're not going to defend the title must be pretty hard to take, especially in, in these circumstances when, you know, so many things have conspired against Liverpool this season and it's such a freak season. It doesn't feel like, you know, the conditions really were, not that they were never there for Liverpool to do it, but so many things have gone wrong and, and, given what we're in, in terms of just the wider climate, I think there's, there's not much else to really think about or focus on, is there? So I think I think it's a mentality thing now, really. They need to find another way of focusing, and Champions League is a big outlet for that, I think. But, yeah, in, in, in terms of the top four, it's just that that is all they've got to aim for now. And, and you know, uh, hopefully a good result in on Tuesday can kick Liverpool on into the weekend when, yeah, Everton awaits, and, and that's a biggie. Um, and, yeah, chasing Pack is lining up behind the Reds now, isn't it? So... I think the pressure's on, but it's got to find a way of resetting mentally and just, you know, totally accepting that it's not about the league. It's about the top four. And hopefully in, in some way that can kind of reduce the expectations on them a little bit and, and refocus them. 
Yeah, definitely. We'll uh, we'll get on to what's to come then. Let's get, though, into the result on Saturday at Leicester City. And, Gorsty, we said last week after the defeat to Manchester City, it was 10 minutes of madness that saw the game get away from Liverpool. Is this now beginning to become sort of a, a worrying trend how these sequences are coming together? First of all, it was the, the goals that Liverpool were not scoring and we said it wasn't too much to worry about. It will fix itself. But all of a sudden, now seven minutes of madness again, this time at Leicester cost Liverpool again yeah I think the worrying thing is the the way they've almost shot themselves in the foot the last couple of games they've conceded seven goals and uh, what would you say four of them have, have been self-inflicted at least um, you look at uh, the, the three mistakes that, that Alison Becker's made and and to, to be fair I, I can see where Klopp's coming from yesterday when he, he didn't really blame Kabak or Alisson he just said that Kabak's not used to to how they play and, and Allison as the sweeper keeper would normally kind of rush from his goal line and clear those and whoever it would be, Gomez or Van Dijk or whoever would normally just get out of his way and, and let him do that. But um for me, I think Allison's gotta hold his hands up and, and take the blame for that one. Quebec probably had it under control, didn't he? And that's just been completely out of character for him. You know, he's had what was it, two and a half years where he's been exceptional at Liverpool. You can count on one and the, the amount of mistakes he's made and then he's probably but you counting on, on your other hand in, in the last eight days alone or the last seven days. So it's um, it's, it's something that the Aiden Club can't really legislate for. And, and I agree to, to an extent when he says that for, for large parts, particularly yesterday, Liverpool played played well and, and looked a lot more like the normal selves. And given that the injuries that they've had, you know, well-documented that we've all spoken about, I think there has to be a certain level of, of realism attached to the performances that you're expecting. And, and for Liverpool to, to play the way they did and... and go one up against Leicester, you know, a very good Leicester who were ahead of them in the table. You have to look at that and think that this is a, a very, very good result. This would be an excellent kind of shot in the arm and, and a, a chance for them to really kick on and, and forget about the, the worrying couple of months. And then they've just completely folded, haven't they? Which is so out of character for this Liverpool team over the last few years. You know, I think Doyle wrote it in his, his match verdict yesterday and I think we have a similar phrase. Actually, mentality monsters have become the, the mentality mice and just something that you don't associate with Liverpool at all. And it, I think that that's the worrying thing because for so long they've been rock solid and kind of responding to every setback that's thrown in the way. And we saw it last season. They weren't blowing teams away every week last season. He was just finding a way to win and finding a way to respond to any kind of setback. And at the moment, as soon as one is thrown in their path, they, they completely wilt and, and, and run away from it. And I think that is the, the worrying thing at the moment. Yeah, definitely. I think 16 different centre-back partners in front of him for Alison Becker is an issue. He did make that brilliant double save straight after the yeah. second goal, but of course the, the, the damage was done. But Sean, I suppose it is something that seeps across the rest of the team and the way in which they play. But after sort of 67, 70 minutes of that game, didn't see anything other than a Liverpool win. It was, first of all, are they going to get the goal or will it finish goalless? And then after going ahead, it seemed as though the script was written, the slump was finally going to be over. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think it followed, you know, like, like you guys have said, a similar to path to the City game, but I'd, I'd say arguably more impressive and then arguably even worse in the way that it all did unfold. But yeah, for, even look, thinking back to the first half for the opening 35, I thought Liverpool were very good, pressing well, you know, creating chances and or openings at least in in a way perhaps that they haven't done for a little while. But they they, they bossed Leicester, and you know it was impressive. And I think you had that ten minute spell where Vardy started to get on top, 
forced a couple of errors from the, the makeshift centre-backs and that was a little bit of a cause for concern. But then even at half-time, one thing, apart from maybe the, the recent away victories at West Ham and Spurs, I think second halves and laboured performances in those has been one thing that's afflicted Liverpool quite significantly this season. But they reset at half-time and came out and looked solid. And then, you know, that, that Salah goal, I think the form he's been in, all season, really, but especially over the last few weeks, it's just been one huge bright spark. It was absolutely phenomenal. You know, a great open play goal, superb finish from him. And you, yeah, you did genuinely think this can be a bit of a turning point, not necessarily a a boost that will get them back in any kind of title race, but certainly something that can realign the season, give them a, an ideal start to a huge season-defining week. But yeah, it wasn't to be. I think not being able to get that 2-0 lead of late, apart from the, you know those, those two wins, the Spurs and West Ham, where it gives you that little foothold. And then if something a bit wild does happen or an error is made or like in the Spurs game, Holberg whacks one in from 30 yards, you've got that margin for error. But that that's absolutely not happening. And I think like Gorsley said, you don't necessarily trust them at the minute to get a lead and then hold on to it. Um, but in this situation, it, it did look for all the world like that was going to happen. Um, yeah, and then individual errors. And, and I think part of it for me is down to like leadership on the pitch, really. I think it, it's very unfortunate when, when you look at Liverpool's leaders and that kind of formal leadership group that exists within the club. And specifically, you look back to this Leicester game. You know, you have no Van Dijk. We all know he's out and, and that, that's a long-term thing. It's very unfortunate, I think, that Milner went off so early. Um, but then, yeah, when you're ahead in a game and it ticks towards that last 15, 20 minutes, I think you need your big name players and your experienced heads, experienced heads to just stand up and be counted. And obviously Henderson's on the pitch, Juan Adam's on the pitch, but they're in different positions to what they'd normally be in. I think, you know, Thiago, feel hugely sorry for him at present and think it's just been such a sticky and tricky start to his Liverpool season for and career for, for many reasons. But he was a bit rash um, in terms of what happened for that opening goal. And then, yeah, after after the second, I think heads just went a little bit, didn't they? And, and the fact that it came so quickly after the first and was was another error from, from Alisson and Quebec, whichever way you want to look at that. But yeah, I think I think despite what's happened in these last two games, I think you can you can draw positives. It, it's just it's just a mentality thing, and it's a real discussion to be had in the dressing room and on the training ground about what happens when Liverpool do get a lead in games and how they try and see them out. And um, I think midfield. Changes has perhaps been a little bit of an issue as well. And obviously we'll come on to team selection and strategy for what we want on Tuesday and going into Saturday. But I'd like to see maybe a midfield just kind of kept kept intact for quite a lot of the game, if that's possible now. I know like Bob would have had eyes on Tuesday when he was making changes against Leicester. But Curtis Jones, as you mentioned earlier, guy, I think the fact he's come off in the last couple of games has, has perhaps been a little bit of a factor. Um, so, yeah, just... A bit of a, a bit of a mental reset needed, and, and some honest discussions. But I think there is quite a lot to be positive about, about over the last two games, despite all those goals that have been shipped and the, the two defeats. Let's before we get on to, to positives, looking ahead and everything like that. Let's talk about Thiago Alcantara, Gorsty, Robert Huth, and Deep Mahaman have both come out in recent weeks, and I don't know if slating him is the right word, but said he doesn't quite fit the Liverpool style now. Is it a case of he's working in unfamiliar surroundings? We saw when he came on against Chelsea and in the, the Merseyside derby at Goodison, he looked very, very good indeed. Or, and is he, so, so therefore, sorry, the question is, is he being made a scapegoat or is there sort of some respectability to sort of critics of him? For me, watching him, he doesn't seem to be playing as sort of effortlessly as he did first up. He, he seems to be trying too hard at, at 
certain moments. One example, obviously, giving away the free kick that was nearly obviously a penalty, and we've we've seen his tackling in recent games. Yeah, that, I, I don't think it's. Um, I wouldn't say he's he's a a kind of archetypal Jurgen Klopp midfielder. He, he was brought in at a time when Liverpool had a might be Dan would would faint praise a little bit, but it was it was more of a working like midfield, wasn't it? And I think we knew that with Jordan Henderson and Wayne Aldam and Fabinho was as kind of the base from where Liverpool built. And then um, the addition of, of Thiago was kind of meant to, to sprinkle, you know, a little bit of quality on top of that and, and use them sparingly and, and wisely and, and kind of chop and change as and when and, and um maybe one day we'll get to see that on a consistent basis and, and I'm looking forward to the day. But it's just it's just been an knock-on effect from the injuries, unfortunately, hasn't it? Liverpool have only been able to name that that midfield once um, in the Merseyside derby in October, and, and obviously that was the game that Van Dijk picked up his injury and Fabinho was dropped back, and, and it's never really been the same since. Thiago got injured in that game as well, and, and he was out for two and a half months. His return coincided with Liverpool kind of dropping off, and, and that's been another kind of little bit of misfortune on his part. And... At times, he is looking like he's, he's trying too hard in terms of throwing himself into tackles. Maybe he thinks, because he's in English football now, this is this is how you'd approach it and this is what he has to do as a as a number six or whatever. But um, I'm not I'm not too concerned long-term. I think next season is when we'll start to see the very best of, of Thiago. You know, a two-time Champions League winner. I'm not, not worried about him long-term. It's more just a case of he's just been a bit unlucky in terms of not being able to play with the players who we joined the club expecting to, to be playing with. So, um, yeah, it's, it's just an, another one where um, just kind of symptomatic of, of the knock-on effect from having no defenders, essentially, and um, not not too worried for the long term. He's he's too good for him to be uh, to be a, a real problem for the pool, I think. Jurgen Klopp, quite clearly, Sean, wanted to keep him out of the firing line, I suppose, at Leicester and did start Milner. But I suppose with the experience he has with all the the league title he's won around Europe and the, the Champions League winner medals he's got as well. You were speaking before about sort of experience. Should he be able to sort of handle the responsibility that comes with it, albeit there is this injury crisis? This is someone who all summer people were talking of elite, world-class, a, a difference maker for Bayern Munich in the Champions League final. We don't really seem to have seen that. No, but I, I totally agree with Gorsi. I think there's just vast mitigation, really, for, for Thiago. I think that the, the tackling is an issue. I think that's a bit of a separate issue. Whilst, obviously, there's the idea of having to adapt to English football, the pace that you play at, and I think the point you guys make of, you know, in his head, maybe he's thinking, what is a Liverpool midfielder? And do I have to kind of assume that role a little bit, put myself about and be a bit more of a worker, be quite industrious? I think there's that, but... You know, there's been two or three times where he's got a yellow in certainly the first 20, 25 minutes of games on a couple of occasions, like right at the start of games. And I think it's those situations where sometimes, especially that early in the game, almost just want him to not not commit to the challenge. And if it means letting someone run by him because they've, you know, slightly outdone him for pace or whatever, just let it happen because it's put himself and it's put the team under a little bit of pressure. Um, And, you know, I, I think. Uh, certainly even an element of that is is adapting to the league and and adapting to his surroundings and it's not just not just a new league is it it, it goes wider than that for him it's 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 everything it's it's moving to a new country in a in a new pandemic in the pandemic and it, it's it's a it's a very difficult situation for I think for any new signing really um but yeah I, I i think when you look back to yesterday the 
the error for the goal, I, I would still kind of put that on him. I do think, though, the more I've watched that, I think there's perhaps a wider communication issue going on there. Because I think, again, like, like you guys have said, with a with a fully formed midfield, I think we'd be talking about a completely different player. With a player who had had a proper start to his career and hadn't been struck down by COVID and had injuries and had been able to bed in before the going got tough, I think we'd be talking about a different thing. But even looking back to that goal and, and what happened with him leaving a leg in and, and the, the free kick being awarded, I, I think maybe if the team is different and the usual centre-backs are in, are, are they balling at Thiago and Trent and kind of saying, one of you, go to Barnes, meet, meet him further away from the box? You know, I think it, it all looked to be quite silent and players were just kind of letting letting things drift a little bit and inviting Barnes onto them. And then, obviously, you know, he did well to, to draw the foul and, and it was a foul. I think Kabak as well, obviously, at, at the right centre-back role, he was kind of had his head down and was watching play and was anticipating maybe Barnes coming through and it didn't look, well, obviously I couldn't, couldn't hear it, but like didn't look watching it on TV like he was being that vocal. I think it, it's a bit like the, the second goal to an extent in the sense of that there's a bit of miscommunication there. And I think all through the team and, and certainly in Thiago's case, if things were normal and he'd come into the side that he expected to come into when he did sign, uh, you know, two windows ago, we'd be talking about a completely different player. And, and like Gorsi said in his analysis after the game, you know, maybe it's a case now of hoping we see as much as we can and the best we can from Thiago for the rest of this season, but really judging him on what we see next season. I do think the Champions League could be quite interesting. You know, maybe the pace of the game a little bit there potentially and the fact that there's two legs and hopefully it will feel like a bit of a different arena and it might suit him a little bit more. But yeah, he's, you know, it, it, I don't think we can put too much on him individually. He's he's played all over the midfield as well, hasn't he? He's played as a six, he's played as an eight on both sides. That can't help either. And the people behind him and around him are chopping and changing every game. So, yeah, I think I think the mitigation is huge. And it, like Gorsley said in his piece, his best days are still to come. Well, OK, if you can't teach sort of a, an old dog new tricks in terms of Thiago and he needs to play in a certain way, in the certain structure. Gorsley, how impressed have you been with Curtis Jones? We were expecting a breakthrough season for him in the academy. He played wide left, number 10, very much a flair player. We saw that, obviously, with the goal in the Merseyside derby in the FA Cup last season. But he's come into that workman midfield and he's working as hard as anyone. He went off on, on Saturday, 75 minutes, Liverpool 1-0 up. He goes off in the, the final 15 minutes. Three goals get conceded. Yeah, he's been one of the bright spots of the last few weeks, hasn't he? It's um, it's been, I think it's been more impressive with the fact that he's coming with this reputation as a bit of a showman, like you say, guy, and he's just got his head down, not try to overplay or try and think that he can show the, the others how it's done. He's just come in and, and done exactly what's asked of him, and, and there's probably not many jobs, more difficult jobs in football than playing in a, a Jurgen Klopp midfield, is there? So for him to come in and, and perform the way he has. Um, I, th- I think he's been excellent and for me he's ahead of Oxlade Chamberlain now in, in the pecking order I don't know Oxlade had, had his injury problems but um, writing something for the morning there on, on the potential kind of team that might play on Tuesday and I think I think Jones is Jones is ahead of Oxlade Chamberlain now and at a time when Milner's gone off injured um, and the midfield options are becoming increasingly thin on the ground I think he's, he's probably looking like he's going to be starting on, on Tuesday in, in a Champions League knockout game so it's a uh, it's, it's that'll be a huge game for him, and, and he's had a he's had a great season. To be fair, from from a you know an individual perspective. 
Yeah, he even got a cynical yellow card, didn't he? Which I, I can't imagine he got many of those playing youth football either. But Sean, looking at Curtis Jones, and we know the situation with Jeannie Vinealdum. I remember we did a podcast earlier in the, the season sort of saying that Curtis Jones should be like a sponge around Jeannie Vinealdum, soak up as much from him as he can to become that kind of midfielder. But I suppose even James Milner's a player he'll sort of look up to and idolise. And certainly the, the versatility he has shown to his game, because it isn't all about the flicks and tricks and trying to get goals from midfield that we even saw during Project Restart. It has been that sort of solid, sturdy midfield option. Absolutely. And I think he's been one of the, as Ghosty says, really one of the stories of the season for Liverpool and his growth and development. And you hope maybe that we'll see a little bit more of him in, in this home straight, if you like, you know, the final couple of months of the season and he, he can have a telling impact. But yeah, I think you're right to draw those two comparisons. I think Milner, especially over the last couple of games, is is a, is an interesting comparison. Because against City, I kind of thought he, Jones was popping up on, on both sides of the midfield uh, with obviously Wijnaldum behind him. And absolutely didn't look out of place against the best, th- well, the best team currently in the league and probably one of the best midfields in the league. Uh, which is which is hugely to his credit, but yeah, I think it's just it's the rapid pace of development, isn't it? That that is the most impressive thing, and tactical discipline and awareness that you you can see growing week after week and game on game, especially when we've we made this point before, but I think it's one that merits stressing. You know, he's he's come from an environment largely even last season when he was often playing for you know the, the youth teams where he's a big fish in a smaller pond. He's perhaps more of a give me the ball and I'll go and do something, you know, and obviously playing in a similar structure to an extent, but, you know, not in as rigid and disciplined a way as, as he is having to do so now in, in Liverpool's first team midfield. And yeah, I just think that the way he's carried himself this season in that respect has been, has been very impressive. Um, yeah. So I think we will definitely see him on Tuesday, like Gorsi said, and I will come on to our team selection, but I think he merits that. His, his status has grown to that extent now where he's, he's one of the very, first names on the team sheet at times. And I think if you look at it, the injury situation, which obviously is now up to, what, I think it's 10 players, isn't it? Uh, who, you know, you'd consider from either the starting lineup or who'd be around the squad who are out. If there's one, you know, minor positive you can glean from that, it's that Jones has had more exposure almost forced upon him. I think we definitely would have seen a fair amount of him this season anyway, but he's perhaps got half a dozen games and a few more starts than he would have done in bigger arenas, you know, started in the Champions League several times and, yeah, hopefully that could be the making of him and, and down the line will be to Liverpool's blessing. Yeah, hopefully it is the, the one good thing to maybe come out of this season is his development. I suppose the point you make there on that tactical discipline, maybe one thing that's thrown at Trent Alexander-Arnold that he's maybe not quite got under his belt is that defensive positioning yet. Curtis Jones in the midfield certainly seems to have grasped that. Another positive, Gorsty, and Sean referenced it earlier on, is the continued output of Mohamed Salah and shouldn't be forgotten just what a brilliant goal that was against Leicester. Yeah, I wrote something similar after the West Ham game. It was as long as Liverpool have, have got him in the ranks, they've always got a chance in in games and and in you know at the time it was looking like a title race if Liverpool hadn't kind of failed to show up against Brighton. But uh, yeah, he's he's, he's a world class footballer and he's not kind of showing any anyone anything new with what he's doing. He's just going about his business and carrying on uh, with the big contributions. He's up to twenty three now for the season, seventeen in the Premier League, which I think is four clear of his nearest. There's challenger in, in the race for the for the third golden boot, the third golden boot in four years, I think. So yeah, if, you know he's, he's top drawer, and, and it was interesting actually. We're recording this um, just after he's come out on Twitter and, and kind of given a 
a bit of a bit of a rallying cry, if you like. He, you know, he's promised that Liverpool are going to fight like champions until the end. And uh, for someone who doesn't really um, speak that much, um, I thought that was a bit of a um, a bit of bit of bit of a revealing insight from from him. He's, he's normally someone who uses Twitter for you know whatever it may be, you know, kind of light-hearted stuff, pictures of him doing whatever else. But th- this is this is almost a a call to arms, if you like, and, and a thought that the fact that it's come from from him more than anything it was quite um, quite a quite a big insight into the way that this Liverpool squad are kind of feeling at the moment. So um, so that was interesting. But yeah, he's 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 a top player, isn't he? And um, I wrote in the analysis from the game yesterday that um, for all Liverpool's troubles and problems that are on the horizon, either short term or long term, I think his con- contract, considering he seems to be making the noises about it, I think that needs to be looked at at some point because, um, you know, while it might cost Liverpool X amount of money more than, than what they're currently paying at the moment, the kind of long-term upside of that is losing them. So um, I'd, I'd be looking at that this summer, perhaps, if I was in the FSG boardroom, which uh, sadly I'm not. Yeah, and no, but I suppose on that, Sean, he's showing what a talisman he is on and off the pitch. We know, obviously, we we spoke on a pod about the the uh, interview he gave with AS, the the Spanish publication, then talking about that contract. Yet he's not hiding away and sort of leaving it, looking at looking around at the defence and saying, "Well, what are you guys doing? It's 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 not my problem." He is doing absolutely everything he can to get Liverpool back to where they want to be, back challenging towards the title and ensuring that they, they are going to be in the top four at the end of the season. 100%. And yeah, I think um, it's an interesting point talking about what he's, what he's just put out there on social media because I think going back to what we're saying about experience and leadership, you know, it's it's pretty good to see that from him because obviously he's one of Liverpool's, well, perhaps not one of their longest servants, but, you know, he's been, been at the club a few seasons now, been performing at the highest level for all of that time. And, and yeah, you know what, why not, why not have him take the lead and come out and say something like that and issue a bit of a rallying cry, but on the pitch. Yeah. I think he's, he's been absolutely phenomenal this season. I think when you look at the whole strange environment of playing behind closed doors and playing in this world that we're currently in, I think some players, I'm not saying it, it suits them more, but like, the whole idea of like performance anxiety has just gone. And I don't think Salah's ever, ever want to hugely suffer from that. And I think, you know, we've seen it countless times at Anfield and elsewhere, how he's thrived in big arenas and Liverpool fans have given him a lift, at, you know, pretty much in the biggest games you can play in football and, and internationally as well for Egypt. But I, I think there's been some sometimes where he's hit the ball first time and some of his finishes this season where Kind of wonder in a normal situation, would he be able to do that? Perhaps he perhaps he would. I mean, he's he's that good. But yeah, that that goal at the weekend, just the way it was almost the way it was first time, the way it was like done with minimal back lift, was just fantastic. But there's been a few this season. I think one of his goals against Leeds was was just ridiculous. I think the West Ham one, you know, was one of the greatest goals I think Liverpool have ever scored. Never mind an individual player. So yeah, he's he's really standing up and being counted. And I think if we can get a performance or two from him this week in in what will be a week to set the tone for the rest of the season. Every Liverpool fan will be very thankful. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Last one on the, the hit list before we get on to Leipzig and the defining week that is to come for the Reds. I want to talk about VAR. We we don't do it often on the Blood Red Podcast and I know we're all sick to death of it, but of course, for me, it's, it's just getting 
well, he's getting tiresome now that after every game or even every goal, we're waiting to see what is going to be happening. For me, it's it's football being turned from an art into a science. It's giving human beings, this human error, it's giving a second opportunity for humans to be wrong. I know Jurgen Klopp spoke about the the the, the offside goal uh, or the offside call, sorry, given onside for the first goal. And I think the point he was making that's maybe been lost a bit is that the, the freeze is done when Madison's boot is still touching the ball. And I don't think they've got the capability to get that frame rate just one or two frames further on where actually Amati may well have been offside. Yeah, well, you said the guy is getting tiresome, but I'd argue it became tiresome long, long ago, to be honest. It's just a nonsense, isn't it? Every week you're talking about something new and something fresh in it, and there's a, a decision there leave you scratching your head and, and I'm sure the games tonight that there'll be there'll be more that will have you questioning why you've given that and why they haven't given the other it's just it's just a nonsense. It, it, it's at the point now where supporters are watching it and, and they're scared to celebrate because they're assuming it's going to get chalked out, which for me is the, the fundamental reason that you're watching the game and, and you you know the whole reason you have a team is to cheer them on and celebrate and that that's being taken away right in the pursuit of of perfection, like you say, you send it into the science, and uh, sadly, it doesn't look like it's going anywhere. And we're going to continue talking about it forever and ever. And um, it takes away from the actual discussion of, of the football, the analysis of it on, on match of the day and Super Sunday or whatever, because it's just easy just to talk about what the refs have given. And, and um, BT Sports did it recently, where I um, can't remember exactly what incident it was, but it had no impact on the result of the game. I think. I think the the team had won two nil, and they were they were looking at a penalty that they didn't get given, and they, they brought in Peter Walton, and they were talking about it for about five minutes. When it's it's irrelevant, the team that won, you know, won anyway. So just let's spend more time talking about why they've won. You know, the the, the tactical decisions, the the subs, the players who played well. Uh, but instead, more often than not, we're left talking about what the referees have done and. And I don't know what's offside anymore. I I don't even bother to look and, and I check and, and question it. I just see it and think, okay, you've given that as an offside, great. You'll give the one next week as offside and we'll crack on. Because, you know, you can't second guess it and you'll drive yourself mad if you try to. That was exactly how I reacted to the first goal yesterday. I saw the replay, saw the frame and went, oh, he's offside. And then they gave it onside and I thought, right, well, they've, they've given it onside. Might as well crack on it and, and get on with it. The the old adage, Sean, goes these things even themselves out through the course of the season. Rewind back to November, last minute. Danny Welbeck gets kicked on the bottom of the foot by Andy Robertson. No one really appeals. VAR, look at it. Penalty given to Brighton. Liverpool lose two points. Yesterday in the first half, an incident that's not really been spoken about. Mohamed Salah was in the box, flicked the ball past Ricardo Pereira and had his foot trodden on. He went down and yelped because he was in pain. No one really appealed. VAR looked at it two seconds later, decided it wasn't a foul. Yet his foot was trodden on in the box. He would have got to the ball. But for some reason, that, that, that one's not a foul. Yet Welbeck getting kicked on the bottom of the foot is. Uh, that's absolute textbook case in point of, of what the issues are. You've, you've both absolutely hit the nail on the head. Yeah, it's, it's as you said, at the outset guy, it's, it's another opportunity for potentially things to be wrong. I think it's another opportunity in terms of the way it's working out for subjectivity to be introduced into proceedings and it doesn't help. And that is a prime example of inconsistency. I mean, personally, I remember when that first one happened, we were speaking about it, we were writing about it, the, the, the Brighton one, the Welbeck and Robertson incident. And, you know, I was fairly sanguine about it because I thought, well, this is, this is the VAR world now, isn't it? If you, 
if you slow something down and zoom in on it and watch it 10 times for five minutes, then perhaps that does start to look like a penalty. But then if that's the case, then the one on Salah from Pereira probably is as well. You know, it's it's very similar. It's fairly innocuous. I, I think in in real time, well, like the one against Brighton, it wasn't even, I think it was at well that day, I can't remember, but it was just, play just went on, didn't it? It wasn't even seen as, a, as an incident to take another look at and then suddenly VAR is doing so. So yeah, I think it's just, it just consistency just just has to be there, and I do think Liverpool have had a lot of fine margin decisions this season. Um, and you know uh, there is this issue of obviously if if VAR is overturning things, then it sometimes is the case that that means that the initial decision on your pitch went in your favour. I, I understand that, but yeah, I think it comes back to the point that you guys have raised there about frame rate and technology and whether we really already are at the stage where it can be conclusive. And, you know, I often don't think it can. Um, I remember after the derby, the first derby of the season, we did a piece about the incidents in that and VAR and, you know, how decisions have been made and, and arrived at. And the frame rate came up there because I think it was quite similar for the offsides that was was ruled for um, Mane being offside for Henderson's disallowed goal right at the end. And it was a similar thing about how the ball left Thiago's foot and, and frame rate there and, you know, it's 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 difficult to be absolutely conclusive. And I think with the offside at the weekend, um, you know, there's this whole other issue of the rules being slightly tweaked and where you start drawing the line on, I think, was it Amati's sleeve? Yeah, on his sleeve, um, yeah. You know, it, the outside it, edge it, or the inside edge? It's, it's football, not cricket, exactly. isn't it? <laughs> well, well, this is it. And, and these things, because we are now having discussions about infinitesimal levels, they, they do matter. So, you know, I think... Uh, the whole idea of things evening themselves out. Yeah, you know, there's just there's, there's things Liverpool have benefited from. You know, Son's offside against Spurs. You don't have to look back that far for an incident that I think shaped the game. I think if that if that goes in, Liverpool struggle to get back from that game. And, and I don't think they had come away with three points, certainly. But yeah, I think the whole debate about whether it is worth it for the, the, the delay, the whole you know issue, not currently a live issue at the moment, but about denying fans the chance to celebrate, I think... You know, that's obviously going to be back on the agenda next season or whenever fans eventually do return. So, yeah, I think it, it's... I was one who, who, who kind of welcomed it at the start and hoped that, you know, it might be an answer to the whole endless debates about referees that used to cloud post-match proceedings sometimes back in the day. But it's just changed the emphasis and tone of that, hasn't it? And hasn't resolved it in any meaningful way. No, for me, as I said at the start, it's given humans an opportunity to to be wrong a second time around and, and uphold those calls. But let's move on then. Let's get away from the tiresome of VAR and let's talk about the week that is ahead for the Red Scores. The Champions League out in Hungary against RB Leipzig first up and then a Merseyside derby that... In many ways, there's more than just the uh, the run that the Reds have over the Blues at Anfield on the line. Yeah, sums up the madness of, of football and, and the wider world at the moment, that England against Germany and it's getting played in Hungary. Um, and then obviously Everton to come. So yeah, another massive week. Um, I think I think the Champions League now is, is a little bit of a kind of distraction almost from from, from how... how um, Despondence and under spirit, and it's been uh, on the Premier League front. So I think Liverpool can kind of use that as a little bit of a, something else to focus their efforts on. Um, they've, they've obviously done that before in previous years. If you look back to, to, to where Rafa Benitez won it in 2005, Liverpool kind of fallen off a cliff, weren't they, in the Premier League? And 
finished fifth and, and we're nowhere near eventual champions Chelsea, but went all the way to Istanbul and won it. So um, it'd be difficult for Liverpool to do that with the you know the, the obvious defensive issues that they've got, the, the injuries. But um, it's something to kind of get stuck into and, and something to rally behind from a fan's perspective. And, and OK, of course, they can't be there in person, but um, something that's um, maybe something... Just, just something else to look forward to because it's, it's all doom and gloom at the moment, isn't it? And we've spent the majority of this part talking about uh, worrying issues and, and problems and things that aren't looking great, aside from a little two-minute chat about how great Mohamed Salah is. But um, I think it's a, a, a chance for Liverpool fans to, to look at it on Tuesday and, and just kind of have a little bit of, of optimism around it. I think it's going to be a fascinating game. and um seen Leipzig a couple of times in their group against PSG and, and United a couple of games and um, think it'll be a, 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 a very good game. Sean, how do Liverpool approach this game then? Is it a case of maybe playing one out of the, the Benitez school book, getting tight, getting some foundations set to then move forward within the league? Or do we ever throw back to heavy metal football and go blow for blow with RB Leipzig? <laughs> I think, well, I mean, obviously the whole issue of home and away legs is, is just bizarre, isn't it? You know, the, in the, in this circumstance and instance, because, you know, you're not really at home, you're not really away. So how can we have a situation where away goals are a factor? It's all very bizarre. But I think I think they just almost continue with the pattern that they've set over the last few away games. And, you know, I'd, I'd include Leicester in that. I think they were, they were reasonable, as we've said, for 75, got themselves a foothold in the game. And, you know, on another day without those errors and incidents could have gone on to win it. I think, you know, it's, it isn't that all that long ago, is it? Is it since um, West Ham and Spurs, which were two of the most impressive away performances of the season, no doubt. But I think certainly in the case of Spurs, one of the better ones against a, a big, decent team, not quite in the whole Klopp era, but, you know, certainly for a couple of seasons. So I think they've got a little bit of recent stock to draw on, but I just think they need to remember who they are going into this game. And I know the league is, is a different beast this season and, Every game has this, currently has this pressure on it. Every time they step onto the field in the Premier League, I think Liverpool are reminded that they're not going to be champions this season. And, you know, it, it just that must be quite a crushing feeling for them as, as players and Klopp and his staff as, you know, people who get them through it. But but in this instance, you know, Liverpool are a team who've won the Champions League very recently. They've been to another final. Last season, I think they've got something that they can hopefully almost used to drive them on really and try and avenge what happened against Atletico Madrid where they'll still be absolutely kicking themselves that they didn't get that tie one at home in the 90 and then you know we all know what happened in extra time which was which was pretty grim and you know there were issues there but yeah I think I think Liverpool almost need to kind of swagger into this one and I wouldn't be going all guns blazing but I think you know the kind of measured counter-attacking approach with with a, you know, a little bit of pressing that we've seen over the last few away games is is the way to go. Um, it'll be interesting, you know, Leipzig are, are a very decent team and I was looking before at their, their record so far this season in the Bundesliga as well. They've conceded so few. I think it's um, got it written down somewhere. Where is it? Only, uh, they've scored 37 and 21 games in the league but only conceded 18. So, it's going to be tough to break down. They're quite tactically flexible. But yeah, it'll be an exciting tie and, and I think the fact that Liverpool have got the security of a second leg and just that this is a different thing to, to be taken on. It's not one game where, you know, ev- there's, there's everything riding on one tie and there's, there's this kind of weight of pressure on you. I think it just feels a little bit different. I know, you know, again, like we said, it's, it's very, very strange given where it's being played and, and the whole situation there. But yeah, hopefully when 
they get on their plane and, and they fly out there, they'll they'll start to feel like, you know, the elite European side that they that they are and, and remain. Yeah, good good point there. Just before I come to you, Gorse, the Dan Kay's normally our king of the, the metaphor of the quotes, but producer Kai uh, picking out there, Sean, your your uh, Lion King quote. Remember who you are. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, I'm sure that's where you were getting that one from. But uh, un- un- unintentional, but but we'll take it. Great yeah, film. So yeah. happy with that. Yeah, in, in your top five, I heard. Anyway, yeah, Gorsley, is it one of those where Liverpool can afford to just cut loose? And point Sean made there about going on the pitch in the in the Premier League, it feels as though Liverpool are at the moment getting a weekly reminder of you are the champions, you are the scalp in the league, and teams wanting to get one over on them. We kind of saw it maybe last year in the Champions League knockout stage with Atletico Madrid after falling behind. Liverpool seemed to even in that first leg, ramp a load of pressure on themselves that they couldn't then sort of quite overcome it. Whereas in this tie, there isn't there isn't pressure on, is there? There is to an extent, but yeah, I, I see what you mean. I think um, like last year when Liverpool went to went to Madrid, Liverpool were absolutely flying, weren't they? I think that was before the Watford game, so they they had they'd only dropped two points in the Premier League all season. Come through the come through the group stages, and we're obviously coming up against the. Very different kind of football ideology, and Diego Simeone's at Let's Go Madrid. Um, but this time around, two coaches with with a similar kind of ethos in, in Nagelsmann and, and Klopp. You know the the German style of, of um, you know hell for leather pressing from the front and and um, all, all that type of stuff. So it's it's going to be um, a battle of, of similar styles, I'd imagine. But as you say there, or as Sean says there about Leipzig's kind of defensive solidity, that's something that while Liverpool's numbers actually haven't been that bad apart from the last couple of games and they've conceded seven, um, Liverpool generally look as, as though on paper that they, they haven't been that bad. They've been, you know, at six and sevens all season in terms of personnel and, and just what kind of defensive partnership Klopp's going to be able to go with. And, and as you said himself, pretty much whoever was last man standing goes in, into the back. So um, it's it's going to be it's going to be an interesting one. I think if I, I think a lot rests on Fabinho. Klopp said last week that he didn't know. You know, he, he said we'll see if, if Fabinho was going to be fit for this one. And I think if if he is, then then I'd fancy Liverpool. If not, then it means that Henderson's going to go into defence again, and that's obviously going to have a knock-on effect with the midfield. And um, just has such a, a devastating impact across the pitch, really. So that, that would make things a lot more difficult. But um, I haven't seen Leipzig a few times this season. I think Liverpool can. Uh, if they approach it with a similar kind of energy that they had on, on Saturday, uh, particularly first half, then I think they, they might be able to get one or two chances and then it's just up to, to the main men up front to, to take them. And, and to be fair to Salah, he hasn't had too many, but um, he's, he's been putting them away of late. Yeah, we know Liverpool obviously have this option to buy Ozan Kabak at the end of the season and probably harsh to judge him off one game, Sean. So we'll pass judgment on, on that further down the line. But I suppose this game is a chance to see Ibrahima Konate at the heart of defence. I would have said Deo Upamecano, but Bayern Munich have already moved ahead in that race and they've secured his signature. So I suppose all eyes will will be on Konate. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, two top players and, you know, I think, Prior to the deadline day deals for Davis and Kabak, all the noise was coming out of the club where the recruitment was looking ahead to the summer. So I'm sure they'll still be looking at a potential centre-back target for the summer, you know, because Kabak is on this, as we discussed, this almost try before you buy a deal, isn't he? So potentially that's a good deal for them in the summer that could solve a problem that, that does remain a problem, obviously. Um, but yeah, it remains to be seen how much 
football he'll play, how how much he'll settle and impress. Uh, and you know, Davis again, unfortunate that he picked up a knock going into the game at the weekend. But you know, we'll, we'll see what happens there. But yeah, a, a potential audition possibly. You know, for um for a summer move if Liverpool are still in a position to to take it. So yeah, we'll be interesting to keep an eye on them. Yeah, certainly will be indeed. Let's move then on to our, our team selection and see how Liverpool should be looking to line up in Hungary as they look to try and take a, a first leg lead in the Champions League round of last 16. Full faith in Alisson or does Cuevin Kelleher come in, Gorsley? <laughs> no, um, I mean, he hasn't put a foot wrong, to be fair, Kelleher, but um, still managed to... Uh, Alisson's got plenty of goodwill on the bank still. He needs to uh, cut out the glare and unavoidable errors. Yeah, it certainly does. What about the defence, Sean? Are you with Gorsty in terms of if Fabinho's fit, that could be a crucial part of this game? Yeah, I, I think it's difficult, isn't it, to, to throw him straight back into a game of this magnitude. Um, I, I'd almost be tempted, as much as I think midfield repair is pretty much the most urgent thing that Liverpool need to do at this stage of the season, I'd be tempted to go with Kabak and Henderson just because... Not that it was all went swimmingly against Leicester, but it's a partnership that's at least had a 90 and has at least got the basis of something to work on. And, you know, again, it, you know, they both they both made errors in the game and there was the whole thing of Kabak and Alisson. But I think there's, there's there's something there, there's something to build on. And perhaps then if Fabinho is fit, he, he can go into midfield. So, yeah, that, that's the way I'd do it, Kabak and Henderson. Do you, do you feel then it's more sort of a need to get Fabinho back into the midfield as opposed to Henderson longer term or just in terms of that, that fitness issue? It's, it's a really difficult one. I think I think Henderson immediately would make a really big difference and would help repair that triangle with, with Trent and Salah. Um, obviously, you know, as we've, we've said, Salah's having a fantastic season. I think Trent's had a few issues and it, it's one area where sometimes Liverpool just look a little bit different and a little bit more exposed so far this season. Fabinho, I think, especially in Europe, you'd absolutely love to see Liverpool's best number six in his natural position. It's very difficult with him, isn't it? I mean, as much as I'm saying I'd like to see him in midfield for this one, when when would be the last time that he's trained as a midfielder? It's probably you know months ago, isn't it, given what he's been doing? Uh, but yeah, it does feel like for a, a crunch European away tie, even though it's it's not a proper one, you know, having him there would be would be a real boost. But um, but yeah, all depends on his fitness. Yeah, definitely. Gorsley, what do you reckon on the defence? Yeah, I, I, I agree with Sean to an extent, I think, off, off the top of my head. Um, last time Fabinho played as a midfielder was, was the, the derby at uh, Goodison Park on the 17th of October. So, what's that coming up to four months? Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, it's a difficult one. I, I think as long as Fabinho's fit now, I think he, he has to be considered a, a centre-back. Liverpool don't have too many other options, do they? Which is, which is a shame because I think as a six, he's one of the um, obviously one of, one of the best around, and, and I think sooner Liverpool can get Virgil Van Dijk fit, the better. Um, it's uh, it, it's 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 had such a. I mean, obviously losing Gomez and, and Matip has been in and out. Um, none of those injuries have helped Liverpool, but losing Van Dijk has just absolutely set Liverpool back. You know, incredibly, hasn't it? And um, sooner he's back, the better. He's. Um, He's, he's, he's back back in the UK, he's back on May's side. He's, he's spent much of the last two months in Dubai, but um, he's now back on May's side, back training at the AXA Centre, which, um, however way you want to look at that, is probably good news, isn't it? Jürgen Klopp said a couple of weeks ago that 
his progress is really promising. And then he's, he kind of hinted that he might not play again. Um, was it the week before last? So I think I think he might have just said that in a way to, to buy himself some time and, and avoid questions every week about it going forward. So um, hopefully there is... Um, there is space for him at the end of the season, even if it's just for a handful of games, just to, just to get him back in the fold, and then he can have a, a real good pre-season and go from there. But um, yeah, as long as Fabinho's fit, I would uh, be playing him as a centre back. Right, Steve, you go to them for for the midfield. How would you be lining that up? <laughs> Are we at the point now where it's just whoever's fit? I think what is it for? Been, been there two months, haven't we? <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah. It's either Oxley Chamberlain or Jones, isn't it? Surely you do the two one Alden and Thiago. Um I'd I'd go with Jones over Oxley Chamberlain. You agree with that, Sean? Yeah, absolutely. I think I think that one picks itself really. Um yeah, they're, they're the three. And, and as I said earlier, you know, I think rhythm has been disrupted a little bit by maybe maybe it's an easy thing to say in hindsight, but in, in second half, you know, the midfield has been changed and then then things have all gone wrong. So I'd go with that midfield and if, if the situation allows for it, I'd, I'd try and stick with that midfield for as long as the game is possible. Yeah, certainly. What about the, the front line then, Gorsley? The, the fabled front three, the front three? Yeah, it's got to be, hasn't it? I mean, again, it's it's one of those where four into three because there's no Rigi, Minamino's at Southampton, so uh, it's got to be the front three. And, and Shikiri is a, an impact sub, hopefully not, uh, maybe just to run down the clock. Um, yeah, front three is the front three. I was going to say, what's Diogo Jota is still two or three weeks away unless he sort of has a, a, a wrestling style, rips the training top off, comes out for the warm-up and we're all, whoa! But yeah, Sean, I suppose it is the front three, has to be the front three. Got to be, yeah. I don't think you can make a case for anyone else, really. And, um, you know, maybe maybe Mane aside, he's, 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 looked, he's looked quite threatening almost up until the last, last part of moves recently. Um, but, you know, the other two, I think they've got, Real good moments and games to draw on recently, and you know they've been in decent form. So yeah, you've got to trust the usual suspects to get it done. And hopefully, Touchwood, no injuries before the derby, because that is going to be an absolutely huge tie at Anfield to come next weekend. Well, that's it for Monday's edition here of the Blood Red Podcast. Thanks for joining us, myself, Guy Clark, Paul Gorst, and Sean Bradbury. Remember to leave us a rating and review wherever it is you get your audio on demand and stick with us here on the Blood Red dedicated YouTube channel and make sure you share as much of our content across as many channels as you possibly can. But as I say, from myself, Guy Clark, Sean Bradbury, and Paul Gorst, thanks for your time and your company. It's bye for now. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.